You did an episode on human trafficking, and, and that just really captured my attention, uh, especially when you're talking about the prostitutes and the other things that that these um, people do, not just women. Sure. You know, uh, you were talking with Smith Higgins. Now, now Smith is a friend of yours. Smith is a friend of mine. Yeah, and, she's and, uh, she's a big cybersecurity. Uh, person just outstanding in her field. Okay. I won't say where she works. I'm not. I'm not sure she would appreciate me saying that. Okay. But she also works to combat human trafficking as well. Okay. And Brittany Dunn. Brittany Dunn is the COO of the Safe House Project. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So w- help me understand the economics of this. <laughs> help you understand the economics. That is the question, right? Um, and we did that first episode. I was speaking to both Brittany and Smith, and Brittany made the comment that it would be pretty interesting if we discussed the economics behind human trafficking. I had originally planned just to do that one show to to raise awareness of human trafficking overall. And when Brittany said that, it hit me. I was like, you know, you're right. It would be It would be really interesting to talk about that because... It, it's almost like those necessities of cybercrime, you know, of, of financial cybercrime. So the three necessities of, of financial cybercrime, gathering data, committing the crime, finally cashing out. To me, looking at it after, after this conversation that I have with Brittany and Smith on the economics, what we're getting ready to listen to, it's, there's, there's some similarities there. You've got the pimps or the traffickers. You've got these traffickers. They're gathering the women. And of course, the crime is selling the women. But it's useless to them if they can't finally put cash in pocket as well. So it's, it's all about a product. You're, you're taking a human being and you're dehumanizing that person to just make them a product. That's it. And of course, basic economics says if there's not a demand, there won't be a supply. So there's, there's a whole demand of people who are wanting sex, who are wanting to pay for sex. And, of course, that is one of these things as old as the hills. You know, it's, it's one of the oldest professions is this, this idea of selling yourself for money. And that's, that's what we're going to be talking about. Not, not the history of it, but just the current trends of, of how much traffickers are making, how they make the money, how they launder the money, how much a woman is worth to a trafficker. And then what happens to that woman once, or that male, because it happens to males and females, what happens to that victim, or maybe they get out of it, they become a survivor. What happens to that person who was trafficked when the pimp or the trafficker finally, they outlive their usefulness to that person? Welcome to the Anglerfish Podcast, where we navigate the dark waters of our online lives. I'm your host, Brett Johnson. Season one of Anglerfish tells the story of my rise and fall as the original internet godfather, and how I was able to turn from a life of crime to now being focused on protecting people from the type of person I used to be. This second season of the Anglerfish Podcast dives into the deepest, darkest waters of our online lives. We'll be discussing fraud and financial cybercrime, sure, but also human trafficking, drugs, cyberbullying, fake news, extremist groups, nation-state attacks, child pornography, and more. Anglerfish believes shedding light on the darkest parts of the Internet helps us to better understand the problems and find solutions instead of living in a world of fear. Welcome to the Anglerfish Podcast. This week on the Anglerfish Podcast, we have returning Brittany Dunn of the Safe House Project and Smith Higgins. And Smith is actually going to take a good part of today's episode, aren't you, Smith? <laughs> I, I, you know, I hope I don't disappoint, Brett, but thank you for having us back on the show today. Smith, you never disappoint. And as, uh, as, as I mentioned last week, last week was the human trafficking episode, talking about the, the victims and what Safe House Project does, the, the, the immense contribution 
to helping our society that Safe House and, and projects like that have, have helped with human trafficking. We wanted to come back today and talk about the economics of human trafficking. So with that said, let's go ahead and turn it over to the experts because while I've done money laundering and financial <laughs> cybercrime and stuff like that, I really don't have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of experience with the economics of human trafficking. <laughs> well, well, Brett, you, you would be surprised because money laundering and fraud are essentially the foundations for moving illicit money made from human trafficking. So you're probably a bigger SME than we are. I, I, I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you, how much, so how big, and let's just concentrate on the United States. How much money are we talking about that human trafficking illicitly generates? So I think globally, we'll, we'll mm -hmm. start there, right? Um, it is $150 billion industry. Um, $150 billion with a B industry. Correct. Good of word. that, $99 billion with a B is sex trafficking. So it is a very lucrative um, form of crime. And, and when I was doing some research on this, I actually drilled down even further mm -hmm. and, and found out that it is a $21,800 profit per person that is sexually exploited. So that is, that's a lot of money. Oh, well, um, see, see, I hadn't even thought about this. So you're, you're looking at, cause, cause I mean, you're right. We're looking at, or at least the, the criminals here that are trafficking these people, both male and female, they're not looking at it as people. They're looking at it as product. So each product is generating over $21,000 worth of profit for the criminal. Correct. And that should be noted on that is that that's really on the global market. Sure. Um, so you're going to see that that's going to be pulled down by obviously countries where it might be less expensive. Right, but right, right. That, you know, individuals in the United States can make a trafficker up to $250,000 in a given year. Oh, geez. So it's a very large span, right. depending on obviously the individual, how often they're sold. Um, and age and all of those demographic indicators. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. So you're talking, you know, if, if we're, if, if you're trafficking in India or Haiti or something like that, the, the price that, that these criminals are charging for these humans for sex trafficking are, is far lower than it is in the United States. Correct. And so I just want to make sure that's clear because we see those numbers obviously come through you know, differently depending on the nation that you're talking about. Um, but in the United States, we've seen it average out around $250,000 a year. Averaging out to, uh, so per victim, per victim, $250,000. Correct. Per, oh, geez. So that, okay. So I don't even know how to approach this. What, what I'll tell you my story where, where, where I, where I have some information about trafficking. I was in Vail, Colorado, working for uh, or speaking for a company called Toolcase, and Toolcase brought in the head of fraud for Western Union, and he gave a presentation about human trafficking and the economics of that. And what Western Union was doing is they were able to, to look at all of the sex trafficking that was going on across the United States, and they could use that to anticipate where the the victims and the criminals were, were moving to and from. And, and he showed a nice, like a, like a map of this showing the, the different trade routes that, that were going on with trafficking. And so I know that Western union is, is one of the avenues that, mm -hmm. that is used to, um, to exchange money. What other avenues are we talking about as far as moving this money? about? <laughs> Yeah, so definitely, I mean, Western Union, obviously, because that, you know, that's wires transfers, mm -hmm. right? And I, I actually spoke to a guy um, I am good friends with who, who does um, financial crimes. So he literally follows the money all day long. And he, he gave me a couple of interesting, interesting tips and facts. So one of the things that... Um, like one of the ways that these guys are able to, you know, clean this money and get it moving in the actual financial system is going into banking centers, right? And, you know, through, through shell corporations and all those things. Sure. So they'll take the cash, let's say it's under the, 
what the $10,000 mark. They'll take it into a financial institution, banking center, and they will get a cashier's check made okay. payable to said shell corporation. And I did not know this, that there is no record or transaction noted at the bank. All they have is the receipt. So oh. they then, yeah, so they do that, you know, however many times across however many banks and that's how the money is filtered back up to that. So you, so, so basically what you're doing is, is a criminal walks in. I'm used, I'm used to doing that kind of stuff too. When I was laundering, you walk uh -huh. in, you come in with a, with a, with an amount that's lower than the 10,000. So it won't generate an SAR suspicious activity. Yep. Now, what I didn't know is that they don't keep a record of that. It's just the receipt. I didn't either. Wow. Yeah. I know. And so, you know, that's a huge way for them to take, you know, the money, I think it would be from like the pimps or the Johns, sure. you know, the low level guys that are making that money. And that's how they filter it back up the food chain to, you know, whoever's at the top of the crime ring. This is what's really common with crime ring right. um, funded um, uh, human trafficking stuff. And, and another thing going back to wire transfers would be, um, that since you cannot deposit cash into other people's accounts anymore. So if right. I went into Bank of America, um, you know, branch and I said, Hey, I want to put $500 cash into Brett Johnson's account. They would not let me do that. So what I would do is I would get on my mobile banking and I would transfer it that way to your account. So, so you're, using, is, you're using Zelle or something like that. Right. So, I mean, and, and that was the, the cash transfer was eliminated because it was getting so hard to keep track of all those things. And when you do it mobily, you're leaving that digital trail. So, so let, let me ask you. And, and so I used to, I used to deposit cash in accounts all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. different, different named accounts. Um, and I, I was actually doing that as recently as a couple of years ago when I used to buy Bitcoin for investigations and things like that. So has, has that, is it just Bank of America where you can't do a cash deposit or is it across the entire U.S. banking system now? So that I am not 100% sure of, but I'm, okay. I would want to say that if it's done by one FI, yeah, it would be will done follow. by all, right? Sure. And I think that, you know, knowing that it came from this, you know, the horse's mouth that that's no longer being done. I think probably because FIs were losing, losing money, right? Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. it's a mean dip to money launder. So I found those two, two, two things very interesting as a means to conduct this, this business and clean the money. Right. Now, now Brittany, just to kind of switch over here, just a moment. Last week, you had mentioned that uh, as far as the, the money flow goes, that sometimes what we're seeing is these traffickers, they're advertising girls, instead of the John coming in and paying the girl directly, instead the, the John comes in and, and pays the trafficker through, I guess, cryptocurrency or bank transfers, Zelle, Venmo, Cash App, um, some system like that. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all know that digital wallets make transactions a lot easier now and so there's that opportunity to push funds over without it ever being cash of course we still see cash transactions as well but it really depends on uh, the sophistication of the trafficker now is that is that a I guess my question is is which technique is more common or is it is it a technique that's based on the skill of the trafficker it's more probably likely the technique that's dependent on you know, the skill of the trafficker, um, we're going to see a mix and you're also going to, it's also dependent somewhat on the buyer as well and what they are willing to do. Some buyers, if they want to ensure that their um, tracks are covered, might prefer complete cash. Um, sure. Just depends on who's. And that's, yeah, I've, I've spent some time over, yeah, I've spent some time over the last week on uh, this site, usasexguide.an as in Nancy L., and I, it's, it's this online forum that talks about prostitution across all 50 states. So it, it has a forum for each state and it has sub forums 
for each city. And in these subforums, it has it broken down into escorts, uh, streetwalkers, are, there are different subforums for each city as well. And I was, I was reading through this and it, it actually walks you through kind of a tutorial on how to go about purchasing these people and also how to go about paying. And one of the things that I, that I continue to see is that, um, so, so that in conjunction with, with sites like skipthegames.whatever the, the dot is on that, but in conjunction with that is, is what, I, what I continue to see is that, take the escort site, for example, the escort subform in there, they'll, they'll reference one of these people that's on Skip the Games for Sale, and then they'll talk about the, the types of services that that person is providing and then how to pay for them, what they're charging. But you also see a lot of the time that uh, it, it, the, the, the ad requires some sort of deposit through Cash App or Venmo or Zelle, or I've even seen one or two Western unions mentioned as well. Um, and, and typically what I've seen at that point is that a, a load of these other Johns, these purchasers, will, will chime in and say, never pay up front. It could be a scam. So I'm wondering that, that I, I guess that's my, my question is, is that is how common is it that we see that these Johns are actually, you know, prepaying for these people and the services are then delivered? Or, or are we seeing this movement to where it's, it's, it, it's more that they're so paranoid that they're, they're going to insist on paying the, the victim and then the victim, the, the, the pimp, the trafficker has to come in and collect from the, the victim at that point. Right. I, I agree that prepaying is not going to be the um, preferred step for most buyers. However, um, the victim usually does have a cell phone that they're using to communicate back with their child. Okay. Okay. So if that cell phone goes into the room with the buyer, the buyer will have to pay ah. virtually, you know, before then um, services are administered. I've got you. So at that point we've got, uh, and, and I, for, for the listeners out there, mm -hmm. I am, I am not being trying to, to disregard these victims whatsoever. I know I'm talking about this kind of clinically and things like that, but I, I have a, uh, what is happening here is an absolute, I mean, it's, it's just a horrible thing. So, so don't think that we're, that, that we're sitting here trying to, you know, disregard the human element of this. I'm just trying to parse through exactly how the, the, the money situation works here. Um, and that makes, per that makes perfect sense what you said. So the, the, the buyer will go in to this victim. The victim has a cell phone that is, is connected to the trafficker. And instead of the buyer paying that victim, the, the man or the woman or the child, at that point, I guess they say, no, in order for you to get what you're wanting, you're going to have to send money to this address, whether it be digital wallet. Uh, I, I'm sure there's some credit card apps that are taking that as well. Uh, cryptocurrency, everything across the line. Right. And so the other side of that is that we're also seeing a movement toward the trafficker um, having the victim also bring drugs into the buying situation. Ah. So they will not only be pushing the sale of himself, well, not them pushing the sale of themselves. Not only will they be being sold, but they're also usually being pushed to sell um, drugs as well. And so that can change, you know, kind of the elements of what are being sold and amounts. And so that's why usually it's the overall amount has to be established, pushed, sure. to, you know, through that. that. That makes that makes perfect sense. I was, I think I told you guys I had uh, talked to Aaron Sherman, former FBI. He, he works out of um, Salt Lake City for a security company, for, for a ransomware company now. And on the side, he, fight, he, he fights the fight against human trafficking as well. And what he saw in Las Vegas was this house that the bottom, it was a two-story house, and the bottom floor was drugs. The top floor were these people that were being sold. And that, that makes perfect sense that you've got the mixture of the two coming in. Is that, is that pretty common that you'll have the, the, the victims that are also trying to sell drugs as well or not? Yes, when it comes to um, ones that are more orchestrated by organized crime, absolutely. And the other side of that is that it's a really good cover up because a lot of, lot, some law enforcement has tra been trained, but really not all law enforcement. And so if there's a bust on a house or on a hotel room and the first thing they see is drugs, 
they uh, usually will tend yeah. to see the um they will usually tend to prosecute the victim with drug charges and possession before sure. they see the yeah. of human trafficking and so it becomes a cover for the other issue which makes sense i mean law enforcement is more trained on on the drug situation than the human yeah. trafficking situation they see that first and go with that sure and and i think all they would see is right like this the strung out you know victim rather than absolutely the reason why she is strung out if she's using okay so so and and smith let, let's let's bring this back to the banking situation here so you've got sure. at the end of the day and and this I, I guess it's the same way i know with financial cybercrime the three necessities of that is is gathering data committing crime cashing out um yep and i guess from a trafficking point that we see some similarities there as well you see the gathering of people Correct. Then, then the the trafficking of those people. People. So you've already that the first is certainly a crime, but the second is the primary crime of of the trafficker of selling these individuals. Right. Finally, the most important thing for that trafficker is putting cash in pocket. Yeah, cleaning that money. Right. Getting it. Getting it into circulation. Because um, you know, like with any, you know cartel or other illicit, you know, crime, you can't have, you know, storage units stacked full of cash, right? Sure. You can only have so many of those things. And so, yeah, it's, it's um, interesting when I think about, you know, your little triangle, your crime triangle, you were just talking about, mm -hmm. there's a lot of, you know, social engineering, right? That goes on in that first piece of it. So, gathering data in this sense would be gaining that victim's trust, right? right. Putting ads out online, recruiting women, uh, recruiting victims. And that can take form of what, what my friend was telling me about who works in financial crime is a lot of it is luring people in by like fake job postings um, and, and, and things of that nature. And, having women shipped uh, mailed essentially to the united states a lot of the times from like russia and ukraine are very common in that that aspect and so when they get here whoever you know picks them up they take their passport they end up strapping them down with debt meaning like they sure. tell them they are they owe them for their plane ticket and all of these things and so that's what keeps them in bondage Right. And so <clears throat> essentially they are working to pay off their debt. And that's when you see the cash going into the banks and the, the, the certified checks. Another thing that I thought interesting um, is and disturbing more so, honestly, is this is a, the tactic that is used a lot with the Chinese shipping women over in containers, right? Uh -huh. And so the first financial transaction that occurs is a wire payment from the United States to China. So they they're not tracked, at least from a financial perspective, sure. from that trip from China to the United States. And so unless that shipping container is audited by border control, it takes... By the time that you know there's a you know a, a red flag occurring within a tr financial institution, those women have already been dispersed to God knows where, and right. so that's where you see like the bath you know the illicit massage companies and things like that, which is a rapidly growing. Um, I, I appreciate and form. and just and I want I want to follow up on on Ukraine and China in a second, but but what I did read is that over eighty percent. In the United States, over 80% of the, the victims are actually U.S. citizens. Yes, uh, no, is that, is that right or not? To the best of our knowledge, yes, that is what we find, that majority okay. of them are mm -hmm. Americans, and most individuals around the world are, never leave their home country. Okay. So you do have movement of individuals, um, without a doubt, but each country, it's the trafficking in persons report, I think almost every country was over 70% of survivors our victims in that country were from that country. Sure. And, and so. you had mentioned, Smith, you had mentioned the Ukraine. And I, I've been to the Ukraine because I used to be that cyber criminal. But mm -hmm. uh, when I was there, and I've read the book McMafia by Misha Glennie. 
And in the book, Misha mentions that at one point, you know, 20 years ago, you would ask a schoolgirl, elementary schoolgirl, what she wanted to be when she grew up. And the answer would be doctor, lawyer, astronaut, something like that, by and large. Sure. And Misha points out that if you ask that question now, this book was published in, I think, 2008. So in 2008, if you had asked that question, the answer was then of the same girl that 20 years prior had said doctor and lawyer. Mm -hmm. In 2008, if you ask a school-age girl that same question, what do you want to be when you grow up? The answer was a prostitute. So, and, yes. and Misha points out that, the, that the, the entire issue is that the Ukraine is an extremely poor country. Right. So there's, there was very little for them to do at all. And, and to, to kind of feed into that, and Misha speaks about this, and I actually saw this as well. As you're driving, I believe it's in Odessa, as you're driving into Odessa on the, on the interstate there, you start seeing, as, as a few miles out, you start seeing these, these women, because it's mostly women, you start seeing mostly women on the side of the road. And it takes you a few minutes to realize that these women are human trafficking victims or prostitutes. And the closer you get into coming into, it's Odessa or Kiev, I forget which one, but the, uh, the closer you get into the city, more and more of those women start to appear on the side of the road until you're finally right on the outskirts of the city. And it's like this bazaar this flea market where the only thing being sold are people. And uh, that's, that's when you'd mentioned the Ukraine, that's, that's what I thought about was, you know, this, this whole economic thing of, of, and, and, you know, you, you'd kind of mentioned that too, Brittany of, you know, it's, it the, the profit that these traffickers are experiencing depends greatly on the country. So you, you're, and that's what I noticed. And, and Misha speaks about that in McMafia as well as, you know, these, these women, and they call they all they are, they all go by the name of Natalia. These these women are bought in the Ukraine, and then they're they're moved to Israel or Japan or the Middle East or the United States or Jamaica mm -hmm. to to be sold sure. for much for much higher profits than they would make in in their own home country. I don't I don't I just don't know what to say about that. I, I just um, we've got a hundred and fifty billion dollar industry. Right. Of people being sold. Right. And let me, you know, let me disclaimer here, you know, I, this, what I was rattling off a, a little bit ago where I mentioned, you know, Ukraine and China, that was merely just to paint the picture of how money is funneled through and, sure. and how it, it, you follow the money right from the point of inception and going from there. I, you know, I, I'm not trying to downplay, you know, the epidemic of no. United States citizens in sure. any way. It was just merely to paint the picture of how that money moves. Right. And, where and, and what, yeah. what, what I pictured at that point, because you, you mentioned China, and we know that China is really big on using cryptocurrency to launder money. Korea is huge as well, but China is really big on citizens over there using crypto to hide money from the government. Yep. So what, what I picture, and when I was laundering money, and, and walk me through to see if this is, if it's different today. But when I was laundering money, I set up a, a slew of cash-based businesses. So detailing, um, there were food trucks, um, anything that, that was cash-based so that I could make the money look as legitimate as possible. I had bank accounts in the United States, in Canada, Mexico, the Caymans, throughout Europe until it finally bounced enough places that it ended in uh, Estonia in Bank Latico. So, and then I had uh, several accounts that I would withdraw cash from at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the hope that I had was by having the cash-based businesses and then by bouncing it through enough banks across an, uh, enough countries that that would obscure the trail enough that law enforcement would not be able to find it, or it might accidentally look legitimate at the end of the day. Now, that being said, that I was arrested in 2005, February. My last seizure notice was January of 2010. So they, 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 they did find it. <laughs> well, well, you know, the, the thing with money laundering, it, it's, it's the, you know, it's still the same, right? Okay. You know, it is, it is 
finding a way to make it so hard to follow it that the trail goes cold. Right. And so I think you're right. What that is still common today. I think the only like a cryptocurrency is still one of those really hard to, to track. Um, and, and to be honest, you know, I wish I knew more about cryptocurrency. Sure. To me, it looks like monopoly money. So <laughs> I, I, I know what it is, but I still am not too well versed in it. Um, you know, and I think the, the way you find red flags, you know, of, you know, if you're not well versed in, following that money you were just talking about through all the countries and bouncing back is really like outgoing and incoming transactions and what looks consistent and what doesn't. Right. So in, in a, in a typical pimp account, for example, John, whatever you see, um, hotel charges, you know, and it can be multiple on the same day. You see Uh food delivery costs, you see Uber rides. And I thought this was very, interesting iTunes charges to watch movies while they Ah, wait in the car. Sure. Yeah. And I I never would have thought of that either. And so when you see all those things going out, nothing coming in, obviously that's a, you know, who doesn't have money coming into an account? So that's, you know, looking at those things, you know, transactions not consistent with, you know, previous activity, things like that. So, um, I think so, that so, would be, go ahead. A couple of questions on this. I, and uh, I honestly don't know which question to shoot with first. So let's go with, mm-hmm. let's go with the experience level of, of the, of the trafficker. So how, how common, and I, I think both of you have an insight on this. How common is it for the traffickers to actually understand how to try to launder money? Or is it, is it, are a lot of these traffickers simply just, you know, they'll open up an account in their name, not someone else's, and they'll try to, you know, deposit the money in that and then work on that as, as much as they can. Uh, are we seeing that, that traffickers are actually somewhat skilled at laundering money or is it just, you know, they're more worried about the business aspect and getting the money in pocket? You're going to have a completely mixed bag on that. And it really is going to depend on who they're trafficking and if they're trafficking multiple individuals or if they're trafficking one person, because if you look at like the familial trafficking mm-hmm. element and you have somebody who's just being trafficked by a family member, it's not going to flag if that parent or guardian is co-signed on a bank, um, you know, for those deposits or things like that. It's going to look very different than if you're talking about somebody who has, um, a larger trafficking network and is more built into the organized crime elements. Um, so I don't know if there's, <laughs> the thing about human trafficking is with 25 uh, distinct business models, there's really <laughs> a one size fits all <laughs> right, right. <laughs> aspect of this. And that's what makes yeah. it so complex. Yep. Um, you know, and that's where even on the um, part that we were speaking to slightly, which is, you know, those who are trafficked into the United States, often they won't even have a bank account. And so it, there's so many layers of trying to get to that, those funds and understand how the money is being transferred between individuals. Yeah, you're right. And, and we've talked more about the, the high level, the, the large amounts of money that are coming in. And you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've read uh, articles about mothers trying to sell their, their four-year-old, um, things mm-hmm. like that. I've, I've, over the past week, I've been reading all this stuff as well. And, um, I mean, it, 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 after a week of reading all of that, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, it, you know, I've got a lot of faith in in humanity, but stories like that, I mean, yeah. it's it, it's pretty bad. Um, it, it it causes you to have a a really bad day, and you start to question. You know, are we? What can we do? Mm-hmm. How do you make a difference when when you've got that type yeah. of stuff going on? Um, how how often do yeah. we see? for both the, uh, the, the victims and the, the traffickers themselves, how often do we see identity theft playing a part in this, either to obscure the, the identity of the, the victim or the identity of the trafficker? 
so I think um, I know that it is it is commonplace, and I, it, this is published um, by I can't remember what regulatory body, but one of the the thing key indicators for you know financial industry mm-hmm. folks to look for is accounts that have um, reported identity theft because you know. And it's not surprising to me, and I know it's not to you, Brett, because you you obtain somebody's identity and you can do you can conduct all kinds of criminal things in that Absolutely. person's name. You know, you can yeah, jack just up just to credit. point. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I started Shadow Crew. It's kind of the basis of a lot of cybercrime. It's financial, but that that what was developed with Shadow Crew shot out to these other cybercrime. Mm-hmm. Uh, types of, of crime as well. And one of the main lessons that we taught, I mean, we taught it was that all crime, all crime should begin with identity theft. So that's, right. that's, that's one of the things is I, I can just see these, these traffickers, you know, why would I use my real name if I can steal someone's identity? I'm, and it's easy enough to steal it. You go on the dark web and you buy a complete identity for, you know, 30 bucks. You buy the fake ID for another $30 and you're, you're someone else all of a sudden. Right. And, and Brittany, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, you know, you go back to, to account activity and things like that. And I know that a lot of times, you know, tellers, you know, they are trained rigorously on, you know, identifying, you know, obscure or, or weird behavior with people coming into the, the banking centers. And I, I believe, you know, a lot of times these these victims are there with either their trafficker or their their pamper whoever from that you know ring and you know they're there to force that girl or whatever to use her account to conduct you know money transfers uh. or or some of those things so it's never traced back to that actual trafficker Correct. And that is one of the biggest things that we're pushing for across the board is Safe House Project is corporate compliance training because all corporations, whether it's the financial institutions, hospitality, transportation, uh, trucking, they need to understand how this looks and how um, they can be part of the solution to spotting it and reporting it. And with victim identification at 1%, there is a real opportunity here for corporations to train up their people to be the eyes and ears of this issue. Um, I don't think any industry has done it um, well enough yet. Uh, if we had everybody truly trained, we would be able to, tr- to really make a dent in these activities. Yeah, and I, I just want to repeat yep. what you just said, because that, that blew my mind. You said victim identification, 1%. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the, Wow. And is it, I mean, it's gotta be just the training, right? I mean, you, you're the, 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 the tellers, the bank system is, is not trained to spot what that victim looks like. Correct. Because it looks, it can right. look like a disconnected youth or someone who has mental disorder or somebody who is addicted to drugs or alcohol or isn't getting along really well with a parent. Like it's mm-hmm. hard. Like you have to understand all the layers, whether it's physical um, indicators, mental indicators, emotional, behavioral. And so it does take, honestly, investing a little bit of time to really um, dig in and learn about the issue and and figure out how that might look with the population that you're surrounded with most frequently. And then from there, keeping your eyes open. I mean, I had a woman who we trained probably six weeks ago text me yesterday because she was um, picking up Subway um, and said that she saw a bunch of Lamborghinis outside of this massage parlor. And if you go online, this massage parlor is right on Yelp with one stars and hasn't been um, frequent in, or doesn't even do <laughs> in the past four or five years. Right. Um, so you look at those things and you start to see it differently. Usually most people go, that's a really cool car. Sure. You know, and keep mm-hmm. But when you say, why are there a bunch of Lamborghinis outside of a really shady one-star Yelp review <laughs> right. parlor at yeah. two o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday? 
And then you start to peel back the onion and you can start to see how this can look different. Um, I was working with a survivor this afternoon who said, you know, what I want people to know is that, you know, my trafficker was a business, you know, was a business leader in the community and his wife was on the school board. You know, oh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and my dad was a police officer. And she goes, they, it can look like everyday life. And that, I think, is what makes this so challenging. And so people do need to take a little bit of time to yeah. invest and learn. Companies need to be on the front of um, training their employees when they are one of the ones that intersects this on a regular basis. And then victim identification can increase. I think you're right. And I think you made an excellent point there. I mean, it's not for, for people out there listening. It's, it's not, and, and it's not the stereotypical trafficker that we're, that we're talking about always. I mean, those people are out there. Certainly they're out there, but it's also business leaders, as you just pointed out, it's, it's these people who have uh, high profile positions in society that are also, or could also be a trafficker. And it's, it's, so you can't simply go by what you see on TV all the time on the cop shows. <laughs> so, right. It, and, it's, it's interesting because as I mentioned last week, that that's why I became involved with Safe House Project because just attending an education session, I learned that it's not what I perceived it to be. It is so much worse, Right. <laughs> right? You know, like she, you mentioned earlier, a, a grandmother or mother trafficking their four-year-old, right? You know, and that's, that is what is so scary about this entire, entire thing. I was talking to um, someone, you know, it's well-known, very successful in our community. And he was asking how, you know, work was going and, and how Safe House Project was going. And he was like, yeah, and I think you know, North Carolina or Charlotte's pretty high up there on the, you know, in the national rankings. And I told him that North Carolina has jumped to six in the nation and Charlotte's number one in the state. Right. And he, the look on his face was just utter shock. Sure. And so that, that in of itself, you know, just goes back to what Brittany was saying last week and this week that it, it starts there. You can follow the money all day long, but the real impact and real difference comes from educating people in the community and the corporations to look at things that the untrained eye would not see. Which, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And you can't, you don't know how much I appreciate because I was sitting there thinking, okay, we're going to end this episode on just the most down note in the history of society. So, you know, because we're talking about a victim, uh, a victim identification rate of 1%. We're talking about victims who are, who are viewed as products and each product is generating in the United States up sometimes $250,000 a pop in profit. We're talking about um, traffickers who cross all demographic, societal and economic uh, backgrounds as well. And, you know, Brittany mentioned that 1% and then you, you, you both talk about education. So it mm -hmm. seems to me that if we can just educate the, the masses and raise that victim identification level up, that we start okay. taking a bite out of what's going on here. Am I, am I wrong in saying that? No, absolutely. We always say that to eradicate an epidemic, you need prevention and you treat, need treatment. Um, education awareness um, is all about trying to prevent it and then also be able to spot it and report it. And then on the other side of that, what Safe House Project works to do is to accelerate the um, launch of brand new restorative care homes and continuums of care throughout states or in every state across America. Because at the end of the day is that we need places to put those who have already been victimized. And when those two things, those two worlds can come together, we do have the opportunity to eradicate child sex trafficking in America. Absolutely, absolutely. So on, on the training program, how long does it take to train someone to, to start spotting one of these victims of human trafficking or a trafficker, that, tra that trafficking type situation? It doesn't take more than about a 30 minute investment of somebody's time. We do in-person community trainings. We have online trainings. Um, our social media handles are always 
putting out information on how to spot individuals. It really can be as simple as, you know, spending 30 minutes to an hour of dedicated time researching it. And you don't have to go into all the hard elements of the issue. You can truly focus in on, okay, what are the signs and indicators? And then learning how you report it. And we always say that the National Human Trafficking Hotline should be your first stop unless it's an active situation and then you call 911. Absolutely. So 30 minutes to an hour is enough to, to get someone trained where they can actually start trying to spot this stuff. I guess my, my next question on that is, is how many financial institutions, law enforcement agencies, consumer, not, not consumer groups, but uh, citizen type groups are, are signing on and wanting this type of training conducted? New organizations and corporations are signing on every day, and that is really great to see. Um, it has been, there's a heavy concentration um, with our work with like the American Hotel and Lodging Association for hospitality. Groups. Oh, that's, a, you know, I hadn't even, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. I mean, you, uh, the, the, the clerks, the hotels should be able to see this every single day if they're trained properly. Absolutely. And then working our, you know, working with the trucking industry, working with those mm. who are in, uh, that are running gas stations along major uh, highway corridors. All of those are really great ways. We also push legislation to have signage posted into liquor stores and places where they're going to potentially, where victims will potentially see ways that they could reach out and get help. And so it, it's a multi-pronged approach, but we know that when communities um, and corporations come together, that this becomes a solvable issue. No, and that, that really gives me a lot of heart because again, I was, <laughs> I was getting a little, a little down, <laughs> you know, and I, I'm still down, but, but that, that idea that there is hope there, if we can just, just educate enough people, we can start fighting back against this. I mean, that, that, that makes a world of difference. Instead of telling people that everything's hopeless, instead of, mm -hmm. instead of saying that, you're just like, hey, 30 minutes to an hour, you can actually start doing something about this. That, that makes a world of difference. Brittany, tell me how, or tell the audience how they can contact you and Safe House for, for proper training on how to start identifying traffickers and victims to turn those victims into survivors so that we can start doing something about this problem. Yeah, absolutely. If you visit our website at safehouseproject.org um, and go to the education tab, you can definitely start your research there. And then we are also um, starting some online training. So this uh, starting on Wednesday nights at nine Eastern, uh, you can tune into our Facebook Live, and we are going to have different topics uh, to talking about how this looks in different ways across America, um, bringing survivors on to talk about how, not so much about their personal experience, but about what they believe the community needs to be doing in order to spot human trafficking. And so each week we will have somebody else kind of on there, and it's a great way to learn more um, and also be, feel part of the solution. Sure. And, and that, uh, thank you for saying that, because I'm a firm believer, uh, if you're not part of the solution, you are part of the problem. Part of the problem. <laughs> My father <laughs> I mean, told me that growing up. <laughs> that's true. I, I'm a firm believer of that. And what I mean by that, and the people out there listening, if you're just going to sit on your ass and say that it's a problem and complain about it and say, oh, we need to do something about that. If you're not getting off of your ass and actually doing something about it, you are part of the problem. So I, I urge everyone out there, everyone out there to, to sign on to Safe House Project. Just it's 30 minutes to an hour, 30 minutes to an hour is all it takes for you to know what it looks like, what human trafficking looks like, and for you to be able to do something about it. And I think that if everyone can do this, that we can make a, a huge amount of good in the world. So please do that. Uh, final words from both Brittany and Smith. Shoot, go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thank you for, for having us on two weeks in a row. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, I think that's amazing. You wanted to talk to us again, but um, you know, you have such an incredible following and in a big audience here. So I think this is the beginning of a big 
jump ahead uh, to to do the awareness and and get training out there. So I really hope so, you. Smith. It, it's with me. Um, you know, I'm I'm a firm believer. We, I, we, we did the online fraudcast, and we're continuing to do that. And that that helps merchants, but there's there are so many more serious problems than just financial cybercrime. And, and to me, human trafficking is at the top of that list. It really is. Um, and I, I want to do as much as we possibly can to, to help stop this problem. I mean, it's $150 billion. We've got countries where, right. where schoolgirls are saying that they, they want to be prostitutes. We've got uh, traffickers that don't view people as people. They view them as product. Um, you know, we've got this, something has to be done. It has to be done. And uh, yeah, I'm yep. just hoping that, that my little show here can, can actually do some good at the end of the day. And I, I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the job that, that you do, Smith, the job that you do, Brittany. I mean, it makes a world of difference and um, it makes the world a, a better place. You both are making the world a better place. And I really appreciate the work you do. Well, thank you. We greatly appreciate you and um, look forward to continuing the partnership. All right. Brittany Dunn of the Safe House Project, Smith Higgins. Notice I didn't say where Smith works because I'm not sure she wants me to say that. But she is, she is an extraordinary person and highly, highly talented in a lot of areas. So thank you both for coming on Anglerfish. We do appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anglerfish Podcast. I appreciate it. If you like it, please subscribe and drop me a line saying hello. Hello is always good. You can reach me direct at brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. That's brett, B-R-E-T-T, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at anglerfish, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H.com. Other than saying hello, feel free to email questions, comments, concerns, or even show suggestions. I respond to every single email I get. And please, tell your friends about us. Rate and review Anglerfish wherever you can. As Anglerfish continues to navigate the dark waters of our online lives, remember, stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant.